Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Hallelujah. Well, we're continuing our series tonight on training for the glory. And not to scare you, but we have one, two, three, and two-thirds sheets because we're going to be reading out of Nehemiah some rather lengthy passages. But it's okay. We can read scripture here because we're a church. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus... Um, called his disciples to him. Uh, and we, we see it in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It says in verse 1, And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. Why did he see the multitudes? What was going on? Because he had already started his public ministry. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, change, change, change. Turn your heart, turn your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, all right, and it's within reach. And what began with, his, with this was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are hungry for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Oh, man, I'm, I'm so hungry I'm famished for an outpouring, all right? And we see it because when you're there in Matthew 4, this is just before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 23, it says this, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Notice there that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Matthew lists teaching first and proclaiming second. Teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. There's the impact of it, the, the, the outpouring was so great that verse 24, the news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, that literally means the ten cities, Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I want you to understand that Jesus then takes his men aside. We just read it. He saw the large crowds coming and verse two and, you know, or verse one. And he sat, uh, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and opening his mouth, he began to teach them saying, what is he doing? He's teaching them because in the not too distant future, he's going to send them out uh, in, in pairs and they are going to see the sick healed, the dead raised. They are going to see the same outpouring. They come back to him just really pumped because they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He's training them so that they can be vessels full of that same power he was enjoying. Or at least under that same anointing. That would probably be a better way to put it. All right. And he 
successfully train the apostles because he's getting them ready, not just for the outpouring while he was here, but the revving up of that to an even greater extent when he was taken to heaven. He's, and in the middle of this great outpouring of the Spirit and the power and people being healed, set free, it, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians just completely missed it. You ever thought about that? Just completely missed it. Yes, a handful of them, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, and then later it mentions there were other Pharisees who had believed, and we can think of one by the name of Paul. Amen. But he had to have an experience. All right. Uh, and, you know, a handful of them did come to Jesus, but most of them rejecting them. Uh, rejected him. In fact, in Luke 19, 41 and following, it says that he approached Jerusalem. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave upon you one stone upon another and because you did not recognize the time of your visitation I'm telling you saints when the Bible says today is the day of salvation he's not kidding I mean we have to you know they refused to repent they refused to change. In fact, several of them came out to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. And he said to them, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? And he basically read them the riot act. All right. And so as we go through these beatitudes, we are looking at them one at a time and look and then going through because again Matthew chapters 5 6 and 7 the entire sermon on the mount we have the beatitudes which it's called that because it's the latin word for blessed blessed it are the you know those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will blessed and the latin word is beatus but we last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall perceive god we didn't get done with it because all of chapter 6 falls under that, that heading. All of it. And so we're coming back to it again tonight. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Because having literally the word pure is the Greek word for clean. Blessed is having a clean heart. Or those who have a clean heart. For they shall perceive God. Their heart's not hardened. Their heart's not polluted. It's not corrupted. It's not burdened down. You know, can you be all of those things and be a Christian? Yes. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of the flesh and the spirit. And so, you know, we were, uh, I can't remember what it was we were, uh, you know, I was yesterday, I had a, I, I apologized to the Women's Fellowship because everybody, they were hyping the turkey and I had a, an equipment failure about halfway through the, uh, of the, the 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 preparation of the turkey, and uh, as a result, the uh, the it got it, the the wood didn't smoke properly, and there was um, you know it was a little bit when I took the turkey out it was pretty dark, and so I took 
you know, I, I took a, uh, uh, Mark, do you hear that? There's something thumping in it, and, and I don't know what it is. But anyway, um, when, um, when I, I took and, I'm, and I split it down the top and I stuck a knife in there and went through there and peeled all the skin off it, being very careful not to touch it because the stuff that was on the outside was not tasty. And she goes, this is just like it's been walking in the world. I said, yes, that's why Jesus tells us he wants us to wash. He wants to wash our feet every day because we get the crust, the crud, the corruption, the corrosion of the world on us. You know, one of the things about my, you know, you knew there was going to be a car illustration. You did know that, right? Okay. But, you know, my forerunner is 16 years old. Drives and rides just like it did when it was brand new. I kid you not. Now, I've taken very good care of it. And one of the things I do is, particularly in the wintertime, when we've got a lot of salt and everything like that, I keep it washed. I keep it really clean. I go to a car wash over here that has an underbody wash, and they spray, spray rust inhibitor on it and everything. In fact, several years ago, uh, Aaron and I were both banking at the same place. It was over here on the north side of Lee Summit, just barely outside of Independence. And he was pulling into the parking lot and the, everything's all nasty, the, the melting snow and all that kind of stuff. And he came walking in and he said, I knew it was you here. I said, how so? He said, because that's a clean forerunner. Nobody has a clean forerunner but you at this time of year. And as a result, one of the things that is a problem with my particular vehicle up north is rusty frame. They have rusty frames. You look underneath mine, you won't see that because I, you know, you'll see a little bit of surface rust, but it is strong. Why? Because I give it a frame washing all the time. If we will let Jesus keep our feet clean, that corruption, that corrosion will not get into us. Everybody say amen. Being having a clean heart, a pure heart is absolutely critical or better word is crucial. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Romans 2 and 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the what? The heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. It is the heart that is circumcised at new birth, at the new birth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is what a little Hebrew child would call his daddy, father. Amen. Now, I want to come down to, fast forward here to... Uh, over to Matthew chapter 6 and come to the next phase of pure in heart. We talked about, you know, doing things ostentatiously last week. You know, don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing when you pray, pray you know, go into your closet and all that. But then he picks up and he, he, changes, he changes the subject. And I believe that this is more prevalent or uh, should I say pertinent today than at any time I've ever been alive. All right. He says, beginning in verse 19, Matthew 6, Do not, the force of the Greek is stop, storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves, everybody say, for yourselves, 
treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. I'm reading from the NAS here, 1985 version. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one, now if you think, well, is he really talking about money? Funny you should ask. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here, the actual Greek word is mammonas. It's mammon. And in fact, I think it even says that in the King James Version. Mammon was a god. It's not just money. It's greed. And the spirit that actually drives it. It's When I say it's a god, it's a little g-god that teaches humanity to pursue material and financial things above all else. And that impulse finds a very willing ally in our flesh. How many of you know that's right? Yahweh, of course, is the God of the Bible, but Mammon is a God that has pestered humans, dogged the tracks of humans forever. All right? And I want you to understand when we look at uh, verse 24... It says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He's not saying the same thing two different ways. He's not being redundant, because this is pointing to two different classes of individual. No one can, he will either hate the one and love the other. That's the unbeliever. The unbeliever, the worldling, will hate the things of God and hate being told that they need to be generous. They will hate to be being told that they need to think about somebody uh, other than themselves. And they will love money. Now it tells us, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days men will be lovers of self and lovers of money in that order. That love of self will always lead to the love of money because money will give self self what it at least what it thinks it wants many times you get it and find out well maybe that wasn't quite the prescription after all and the, and the unbeliever will hate uh, hate God and he even says it Paul he says haters of God that's one of the things about the last days the world you know I want you to see the way do you can you believe the way in with Everything that's going on in Israel right now, that you would think that in our nation, because of our Judeo-Christian uh, foundation, that we would be united as a nation, standing behind uh, Israel. But we have a sizable group of people who are absolutely, positively deaf on Israel. And believe me, if they can be deaf on Israel, guess who else they can be deaf on? All right, because Israel and the church run parallel tracks. You understand that the world, you know, when you but he uh, devoted to one and despises the other. Remember what it despises. Despise doesn't mean um, 
to, to hate or to abhor. To despise means to count of very little value, right? I mean, all of us, with the exception of a few of you, have looked down and seen a penny on the ground and just kept walking. Didn't bother to reach it. Now, you know, not, not, not Doc. Doc says, I don't do that. I pick them. You pick them all up. Most people who do not have a, PA or a, a doctorate in music, <laughs> uh, what, what, you know, if they're, you're in a hurry or something, like you look down, you see a penny, eh, you know, and you keep on going. You know, I've done it. But when I was working one time for a particular candidate here in town, and I was standing out in front of the Truman Center, and I looked down, and there in the gutter was a Susan B. Anthony. A dollar. I looked down and went, whoa, and picked up that dollar. I did not despise that dollar. You know, even if I had despised a penny, maybe, I definitely did not despise that dollar. So, in other words, the believer, the one he says, will be devoted to God and will think the other one of much lesser value. In other words, wealth becomes a tool. It becomes a, a means for pleasing the one with whom we walk. How many of you follow me there? You know, and so that's what being poor in spirit is. We talked about that, ready to drop everything and the minute the Lord says to us, all right? And so I want to I ask you a question. I want to ask you watching by web. Is that settled in your heart? Because the scripture is clear. In the last days, financial things and, and, a, and attachment to wealth will become fierce, more fierce than we have ever seen it in our lives. We're already seeing corruption in our government, which goes beyond anything any of us reasonably expected to ever be there. And it's all about the money. Ever bit of it. All right. And so is that settled in your heart? When some preacher gets up and starts talking about money, do you roll your eyes and think, great, another sermon on money. Somebody just hit a nerve. Amen. It's even quiet in here tonight. Okay. The same would be true of worship, prayer, or any other subject. But money hits a nerve. Because where your treasure is, that's what Jesus said, right? So whenever somebody starts talking about money, they're touching your heart. It's been said and it's true. Want to see what's important to somebody? Look at their checkbook. Look at their debit card statement nowadays. I mean, not that many people use checks anymore. I mean, some. All right. And so, uh, you know, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul in the NIV says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now go back to what he just said. Hates the one and loves the other. The unbeliever hates God and loves the money. That's idolatry. That is just, you know, and, and but we live in a world when any preacher goes to talk about money. And I'm, you know, Jesus talked about money more than anybody in the Bible. 
Absolutely. And furthermore, if we don't get trained in it, how will we know what to do? And so, well, I don't want to be trained. I just want to kind of make my own way. That's a recipe for trouble. All right. Because your flesh will have, you know, and, it, you know, so at any rate, loving money will be a major problem. It already is. All right. So let's 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 ratchet this up. You know, um, I'll I'll roll this off on Susan. We're doing a little different streaming thing tonight. And so she wants me to run late so that we see if we get kicked off. All right. So if I go late, it's her problem. It's her fault. <laughs> purely, purely. All right. Matthew chapter 6 and, and verse 19, we just read it a minute ago. The force of the Greek is stop laying up for yourself. Stop looking at money as your defense, your provider, your controller. Serving mammon is a dead end. And it will consume us if we allow it. We do not, we're not saying money isn't important. Isn't important. It is. But it is far from being the most important thing. You know, it got there for a while to where within the charismatic quote-unquote faith movement, everybody was producing books on prosperity. You know, everybody was preaching prosperity. Everybody was teaching us how to say, money come, and, and, and stuff like that. And the reaction in the evangelical community was understandably, uh, was, was an understandable disgust. Because... I am a prosperity preacher. I believe God wants to prosper us. I believe God wants us to pay our bills. I believe God wants us to have nice things. Okay. Now, are there people who God wants to walk in in a situation where their prosperity might appear to us to be uh, poverty? Maybe they're in Africa. Maybe they're in South America. Maybe they're in, in Asia or whatever. And so their prosperity level might be a little lower than what we might say. Sure. You know, absolutely. And I read in the Old Testament about men who were wandering around with sleeping in holes in the ground, people of whom this world was not worthy. You know, it, it's, it's senseless to say that God will not call some. God does not. Let me, let me put it this way. God doesn't call everyone to be a multimillionaire. Okay. And so having a, a abundance, yes. Having enough, absolutely. But he, you know, if your eye is, and what did he say back there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22? I need to go to it here so I, I don't read it and I don't, you know, just try to reproduce it from memory. The lamp of the body, uh, I'm reading it from the King James. The lamp, the eye is the lamp, the light of the body. If your eye is clear, they translate haplotes there as clear because there is a single is the tradition, but it comes from the root word, which means to be generous. If your eye is generous, if you're not looking with stinginess, if your eye is generous, if you're always thinking, how can I be a blessing? How can I contribute? You know, how can I, you know, what, how, how can I help here? If your eye is generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, actually the Greek says evil. If your eye is evil. Now Proverbs 28 and 22 says a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. So when he says your eye is evil, that's the guy who's hastening after wealth. And does not want the, know that want will come upon him. 
And he says there in verse 22 of Matthew 6, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. I don't want to be full of darkness. And he said, and if, you, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It is a serious, serious warning. The, this is the, it's the only place where Jesus speaks of darkness being internal. Not just darkness, but great, mega scotinas, mega, mega darkness. All right? And in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, Arise, shine, for your light is coming. This is an eschatological, this is an end time passage. Arise, shine, for your light is coming. The glory of Yahweh is written upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep, gross, dense darkness the peoples. Are you, are, you, are you tracking with me here? All these things intersect. All these things overlap. 2 Timothy, I made reference to it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Beginning with verse 1, we'll read to verse 5. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times. That is an under-rendering. That's an under-translation. Because the word chalapas, or in this word chalapoi, it's the plural, means fierce, savage, violent, hard-to-take times will come. How many of you think we're there? All right? For men will be... Why will these things happen? Because men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Now, everything that follows in this ingredients list on the back of this uh, little container of death, all right, is listed in the order... You know, it's just like when you pick up, you know, your, uh, when you pick up your, your, your drink, you know, and you read the, the, you read the ingredients and it says, ingredients, sugar, or high fructose corn syrup. You know that that is the thing that is the most in there. In this case, it is controlling. In fact, we could even render this this way, for men will be lovers of self, colon, and then everything that follows describes what being a true committed to self person will will have how that what that looks like all right lovers of money lovers of self colon lovers of money braggadocious that's boastful right arrogant boy do we see hubris in the world today i mean arrogance it's beyond pride which brings revilers those who mock holy things they scoff disobedient to parents well well we definitely got that but it, it's not just disobedient to parents it's disobedient to any authority figure ungrateful unholy unloving irreconcilable malicious gossips oh my goodness and that's just in the mainstream news media without self-control Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, meaning they don't give any thought to, to the impact of the things they say and the things they do. Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to something that they claim is piety. Oh, they can talk a good fight, but they have rejected its power. What is the power of 
uh, godliness, the power of God. What is the power of the gospel? That it, what is the power of God? The gospel. G, uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. These people will be able to spin a really good religious sounding thing, but if you bring Jesus up, it, it suddenly we're completely off the rails. All right? And so he says, avoid such men as these. Good luck with that in this day and age. Now let me give you an example tonight. Are you getting anything out of this so far? Of steps in systemic degeneration. Um, I just happen to be in Nehemiah right now in my uh, Old Testament uh, reading, my historical books reading. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of Artaxerxes, king of, of Persia, in the capital of Shushan. And he went, and, but Nehemiah was a Jew. And when he had asked of his fellow Jews who had come back from Judah about the, uh, or Judea, whichever you want to call it, and asked them about the condition of the exiles, the people who were living there, they said, boy, their situation is not good. They are in constant fear. The Ammonites and the Egyptians and everybody else just, you know, the uh, Moabites and everything just terrorize them. The walls of the city are burned with fire. They're pulled down. Remember what had happened is that Nebuchadnezzar had sacked the city. And he had torn down the walls. And he had torn down the temple. And carried away all of the gold and silver and everything. And deported a great number of, of uh, Hebrews, of, of Judeans, of Jews. In the, and they said, it's just not good. And so Nehemiah was serving the king. He was the king's cupbearer. And he said, I'd not been sad in the presence of the king. And the king looked at me and said, why are you so sad you're not sick? You, at, when a, around an oriental potentate, you didn't, I don't care. You could have just literally lost your entire family to a flood. But when you come into his presence, you'd better be cheerful. Because you could, if they were in a foul mood, they, you know, they'd just say to the bodyguards, take him out and kill him. That'd be the end of it. Next! For the job. But Artaxerxes wasn't that kind of a guy. And we get, we get to read about him in other books of the Bible. And he says, well, what's wrong? And he said, when he said, the king said to me, you, you don't, you're not sick. So why are you sad? He's like, <gasps> and so he just told him the truth. And the queen was sitting right there with him, the king, and he says, well, what is to be done about this, Nehemiah? He said, I would like to go and represent you, and I would like to rebuild the walls, and I would like to restore the city of my forebears. And the king said, well, when would you go? When would you be back? How much do you think it would cost? And God gave Nehemiah great favor with Artaxerxes who sent him even with letters to the he sent him with, with, with some army people to, to help him out Ezra didn't do that because Ezra who came you know at a different time you know was saying you know I didn't ask for protection because we were telling him how great our God was and he said I didn't want to ask for military protection because they said well I thought you said your God was really awesome 
And so they made it all the way without, you know, and they were carrying lots of gold and stuff like that and utensils for the, for the, for the, te for the temple worship and all that. But Nehemiah went, he sent officers and some, some uh, officers and some troops with him along with letters and all of that. And he gets there and they rebuild the walls then under Ezra you know, under Ezra and, and Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the, the, the temple, and they reinstitute. Ezra was a priest and a scribe, and they, they, they reinstituted uh, Yahweh worship. And they even went through all of the genealogies to make sure everybody who represented themselves at, himself as a priest really was. And if he couldn't prove it by genealogy, he was not allowed to be, you know, to, to serve in that capacity. The same with the Levites and everything. And so they, they built the temple or rebuilt the temple. They reinstituted the worship of, of the God of Abraham. And then it came time to... Uh, and, and if you know the story, and I really I'm condensing this, but they had two characters, uh, Sanballat, Sanballat, you know, Sanballat and Toviah, who resisted them every step of the way and kept threatening them and telling them, oh, you rebuild the life, the wall, even if a fox jumps on it, it's going to fall down. And you may recall when they were rebuilding, they literally built with with, with a with a trowel for the uh, for the uh, the mortar in one hand and a sword in the other, and they had watchmen set up, and they had it said, "Well, if they attack over here, I'll come to help you, and if they attack over here, you come to help me." And so they were out there, you know, rebuilding and all this stuff. Well, they got everything done, and they and Nehemiah went back to Shushan as he had told the king he would. And after some time, apparently two or three, four, five years, something like that. I don't know what the, we, we really don't know how long it was. He returns to Jerusalem. And when he comes back, what he finds just infuriates him. You will see how much in just a minute. All right, so we begin reading in Nehemiah 13, verse 4. Now, prior to this, Eliashiv the priest who appointed over the chamber who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God being related to Toviah he was related to the devil Now what I mean by that he was related to a devil cuz Toviah was one of the two between him and Sanvalat they were the two that did everything they could to discourage and to and to and all and all of that. And so Eliashiv the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Toviah, had prepared a large room for him in the temple. The devil moved into the temple. You think about that. Where did he move? Well, I'm glad you asked. He had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. 
But during all this time, I wasn't in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I'd gone to the king. And after some time, however, I asked for leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashiv had done for Toviah by preparing a room for him in the court of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. So... I threw all of Tovia's household goods out of the room. Wouldn't you like to see that? And I gave an order and they cleansed the room. Does anybody see a little bit of Jesus cleansing the temple right here? Kind of like an antecedent to it or a prefigurement. All right. And I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Now, Let's, let's, you know, the treasury was there for the support of the priests. And what had happened? Well, let's pick it up with verse 10. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. So that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. They had to go out and farm because they weren't getting their they weren't getting paid for what they were they weren't as they were supposed to and so i reprimanded the officials and i said why is the house of god forsaken and i gathered them together and restored them to the talking about the levites and the priests to their posts all judah then brought the tithe of grain and wine and oil into the storehouses in charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shalemiah, the priest, Tzedok, the scribe, Periah of the Levites. In addition to them was Hanan, son of Tzachur, the son, or, or Ben, Matanyah. Well, by that time it had been Bar, Matanyah, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Notice, what he did is, he reinstituted the tithe. He kicked the devil out of the storehouse. When we quit giving, guess who moves in? Oh, wait, you're worth it. Oh my God, do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. The priests all went home as they had, you know, the temple worship, teaching, service had all but ceased. All right. But wait, there's more. You, it, it's worse. <laughs> in those days, beginning with verse 15, the very next verse, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on Shabbat and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. They brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Now, somebody's going to say, well, what's that got to do with us? Because we are not, you know, one day's like another, et cetera. And we don't, the Sabbath is not for us, you know, under grace, what it was for them under the law. Think of it this way. The things that they had once revered and been commanded by God to honor, they were now ignoring. All right. And what were they doing? They were, they were treading the wine press bringing sacks of grain, loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of loads, brought them into Jerusalem. What is that? That's commerce. That's all about money. Every bit of it. So I admonished them on the day they sold food 
uh, they sold food. All, also, men of Tyre, okay, these are foreigners, were living there, who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles, the leaders of Judah, and said to them, What is this evil thing you're doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you're adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and they would not open them until after the Sabbath. And I, then I stationed one of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. And then I warned them and said to them, why are you spending the night in front of the wall? If you do this again, I will use force against you. And from that day on, they didn't come around on the Sabbath. <laughs> and I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. Look at this little thing at the end. For also remember me. You know, we've completely, oh, oh, let me finish that. Remember me, O oh God, O oh my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. We've lost all sense of the holy in our culture today. We consider everything just so, you know, it's all the same. It's, you know, and, and that's why in the church you'll hear people say stuff like, well, it doesn't matter whether you walk with Jesus or not. It doesn't matter whether you repent. You don't need to repent. It's the finished works doctrine is that there isn't anything we can do. And so it doesn't matter into whom, uh, with whom you jump into bed. It doesn't matter what you steal. It doesn't matter what you smoke. It doesn't matter what you eat, snort, whatever. It's all good in the eyes of God. Interestingly, when you see in the book of Revelation, one of the things that is listed as a sin from which people refused to repent, it's sorcery. We have legal sorcery here in Missouri now. How many kids are going home to that every night? Let's keep reading. Beginning in verse... Uh, 23. In those days, I saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Philistines, Phoenicians, Ammon, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, listen, they married the world. And if you've read Ezra, you know that that was, was put away your foreign wives. And as for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak in the language of Judah, but in the language of his own people. They weren't, even though they had at least one Hebrew parent, they were growing up in the culture and the language of the heathen, of the unbeliever. Here's where it gets ugly. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. Do not try this at home. 
and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take, uh, take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. What, Pastor, I don't understand. We were talking about tithes and offerings. Notice the whole thing started with Toviah moving in to a room in the temple of God itself. And that started a downward decline. When Jesus said, if your eye is stingy, you will be full of what? Darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Pastor, you're telling me that if I don't do, if I don't tithe, I don't give offerings, that I'm going to wind up like this? No, I'm telling you that this is a progression that is possible. And the draw will be there. Everybody hear what I'm saying? All right, the draw will be there. Doesn't mean you'll necessarily succumb. And I'm, you know, I should have taken up the offering at the end. Okay. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yes, he did. Taking those foreign wives. They turned his heart away from God. Yet, among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was loved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you? That you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women. Even one of the sons of Yoyada, Ben Eliashiv, the high priest. So Eliashiv not only placed, how was Eliashiv related to Toviah? Because Eliashiv's son had married Toviah's daughter. Remember Ahab. Remember what it talks about Ahab? That he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nevat, And how, as if this were a trivial thing, what did he do next? He married Jezebel. Bad move. We're going to talk about him and her on Sunday. Even one of the sons of Yoyada, the son of Eliashiv, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sanbalat, excuse me, the horn, I said to him, yeah, Sanbalat, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Get out of here! Remember them, O God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged the, for the supply of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God for good. It started off with a little nibble here and a little nibble there and while Nehemiah was gone. You know, when I was when I was uh, in school, I probably had the same experience most of you did. And that is whenever I can, you know, now it's that way when the teacher's there, but whenever the teacher would step out run down to the office for something or step across a hall or whatever, we would start talking amongst ourselves. And we would slowly get louder. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? I'll never forget one time when, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and I, I was being stupid. 
And he was looking at me like this, and he could see the door. I couldn't. I had my back to it. And he went, and I went, I'm dead. <laughs> my dad told me, he was a junior high school teacher for well over 30 years in the Tulsa public school system. And he said he could, he'd hear a little bit of a ruckus, you know, a little loud kibitzing and stuff. And he said, you could always tell some teacher was out of his or her classroom, you know. And he said, what I would do is, uh, he, he, he wore the same shoe to school, and not the same pair, but the same style of shoe to school virtually every day. He wore wingtips. I mean, you know what wingtips are. Have to, they still make them, you know. If you show up wearing them, people go, whoa, <laughs> wingtips. And he would step out into the hallway with his paddle. He'd take that wingtip and put it up like this and go whack on that shoe. And it would go crack, 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 crack down the hallway. And he said, you could hear the noise level go. <laughs> as long as Nehemiah was there to oversee it, everything went smoothly. Everything went according to the will of God. But even the high priest was, his heart was not God's. And he approved of things of which he should never have approved. He even allowed his kinsmen, the priests, to have to, to go out into the countryside and, and, and Levites to farm because he would not see, see to it that they were paid and that they were and the singers and the worshipers. It all falls on El Yeshiv, believe me. Well, and so he had a hardened heart. The darkness in him was great. These people had lost all spiritual sensitivity. That's why Jesus talks again about that darkness being great, mega, large amount. Because darkness, when it gets to operating in our lives, it doesn't stay home. It metastasizes. It grows. And the Pharisees would scoff. In Luke 16, 14, when we talk about things like this, the Pharisees were lovers of money and they would scoff at the things Jesus said. It's curious that the Holy Spirit led Nehemiah to put of all the things that he found wrong and the way things had degenerated, he started off with the giving and the loss of the priesthood as being number one. And he tracks it from there. Evangelism, teaching, houses of worship all go into decline or decay. There was a, many, many years ago when I first went into the ministry... I was appalled to find out that it was only about eight and a half to nine percent of evangelical Christians, and in among evangelicals, I'll in include the uh, spirit-filled, whether they're Pentecostal, neo-Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever, were tithers. They've done surveys and like that. I was like eight and a half, eight and three quarters percent. That's all. Today, that number is just a tick above 2%. Yeah. And so, now I know it's greater here. But my point is, you see that, and then you can see exactly the same kind of stuff Nehemiah described happening in our own nation. The darkness 
increases and spirituality decreases. Matthew 6 and 21, we'll go back to that. Jesus said um, that our relationship with money, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our relationship with money is an expression of our heart. How we handle money reveals our deepest attitudes and our deepest drives. And the devil knows this well and wants a room in the house. He wants us married to his system. Everybody still loves the pastor. Say amen. amen. Believe it or not, I was thinking I was going to go really long. And I am. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. All right. In fact, our musicians could come. We will be receiving communion. In Mark chapter 8 and verse uh, 34, verses 34 and 35. The great crowd was following him and he says he summoned the crowd with his disciples. He said, hey, okay, everybody, get over here, please. Everybody over here. You know, they'd been following him and uh, he had something he wanted to say to them. In fact, if I remember the context, I want to take a quick look and make sure, which is why I bring my Bible. Um, This was after, yep, this was after he had rebuked Peter because, you know, Peter was saying, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. So he, he, uh, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes, wants, desires to come after me, he must. Everybody say must. Okay. We lose track of stuff like that because we have become so, we have become so uh, lawless in our culture today. I can't tell you the number of cars that come up behind them and either they got a paper tag that expired a year ago. Or they've got a, a license plate that expired a year ago. When I was a cop, I used to glom onto that stuff. That's a great ticket. Revenue for the city, right? And... I mean, I didn't look at it that way, but I'm sure they did. The, the city, that is. And, I mean, it was a great ticket because you could write them a ticket for their license plate being expired. And you could write them a ticket for, which, by the way, cost at the time $18.50. You know, same thing for an expired inspection sticker. And it's a great, particularly if you pull somebody over that was being an idiot. But they were, you know... Uh, they were really, I one time pulling over a guy that was going, I mean, it was all but a street race. And he was very, 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 um, you know, penitent in his attitude. He wasn't a snot. Did he say that? Toward me and everything. And so I wrote him three tickets. I wrote him a ticket for an expired license plate. I wrote him a ticket for an expired inspection sticker. And I wrote him a ticket for his traction bars. How many of you remember when the traction bars, these Camaros and Mustangs used to ride around with these traction bars in the back? And the law in the state of Texas at the time said that no portion of the vehicle may extend lower than the lowermost portion of any of the four rims of the wheels as it sits on level pavement. And those traction bars often would jut down below that. Wrote him three tickets and handed it to him. 
And he said, how much is this going to cost me? I said, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 bucks. Well, now that is 1979. And so it's a little more money than it is today. But he didn't get any points off of his driver's license. They were all mechanical. Am I a nice guy or what? Today, they don't even pull people over. I was talking to Jason about it. He said, no, we don't enforce license plate. Independence isn't doing it either. So the only department I know that's doing anything about that is the highway patrol. That's it. And so we just, you know, we do whatever we want to do, you know. And even though the law says you must, everybody say must. must. It's a little bitty word in Greek. Delta Epsilon Iota. Die. Or unless you're the want to say day, um, depending on your school of pronunciation. And it means it is a requirement. The law says I must renew my license, my, 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 my registration. I must renew my driver's license. So in other words, it is a requirement. Okay, that is exactly what this word here in Mark chapter 8 and 34 uh, means. He said he must. It is a requirement. It is necessary. It is demanded of us to deny myself. Take up my cross. Not his. God's call for my life to include the parts of it that aren't that fun and follow him. For whoever wishes to save his life Meaning, have everything his own way, will wipe out, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. That parable right there, or that phrase, or this illustration shows up in every one of the synoptic gospels and twice in one of them. So I think it's going to be on the test. Pretty sure. All right. And, you know, when when I say it means laying down everything at his feet, all my money, all my time, all my talent, my strength. Do does the North American church look like that to anybody? No. You know, and I'm preaching to those who are here. I'm not preaching to those who are not here. What I'm telling you is, in the days to come, people are going to say to you, what must I do to be saved? You don't just lead them in the sinner's prayer. You connect them to the walk of carrying the cross and following Jesus. And what is Jesus doing today? He, what did he say in Matthew chapter 18? Upon this rock, the confession of Jesus as Lord, will I build my church. That's what Jesus is doing today is he's building his church. That's why over in Ephesians 4, it says it's what every joint, and that's us, supplies. Some of your brains went someplace it shouldn't have gone. Anyway, whatever he would require of me. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. This is the sermon on the plain. 
which is similar to the Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yes, later on, Jesus does say, if you have a money belt, take it with you. If you have a sword, pack it. But the whole thing still remains that everything is His. Luke 12 and 35. Be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Those two things, by the way, did you notice that was verse 35? I just read 32 through 34. So let me do that again so that you understand. I draw it into context. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Everybody say gladly. You know, um, Norman, come here. Let's see if I've got anything here. Okay, we'll use this. Norman is the father. Let's, let's move over here where the camera can get us. Hi, Mom. My mom's in heaven. Okay. Here's the kingdom. There's the father. Now, if I have to wrestle him, some people think that that's the way God is. That you got to just... Give it to me! Give it! And that eventually, if they believe hard enough, they pray hard enough, long enough in tongues, etc., eventually they will finally rest. If, just kind of like Jacob wrestling with the angel. Finally they can... <sighs> but that's not what that scripture says. The scripture says he gladly, thank you, gives us the kingdom. Does that help anybody? Man! He has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Well, if you have the kingdom, selling your possessions is no big deal. Giving to, and giving to charity. Make your, there's that generous heart, that generous eye. Does it mean that you will give everything away? No, he's speaking hyperbolically, although there will be some people to whom he may say that. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. So that's all part of the same thing. Pure hearts, bodies full of light, generous hearts, ready to give whatever God asks of us. Knowing Him, hearing Him, and walking with Him. Can you say amen? We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.